Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to episode 12 of Staying Alive with me, Jesse Smith. A podcast about creative people and how they make a living out of giving you a freaking good time. I hope you're all doing very well indeed. Thank you so much for tuning in and thank you to everyone who tuned in to Friday Night's Gig at the Warehouse Stage. It was so cool to be back on stage with my buddy James Ashby and performing for you all. It really felt like a gig, which we've all been missing so much. Huge thanks to the team at LiveLX for inviting us and doing such a killer job. Speaking of gigs, I've had the privilege of playing on stage with today's guest on numerous occasions. His personality is as infectious as his playing and he's really at the top of his class in terms of session drummers in the UK. He's been a touring musician with Iggy Pop for the last five years and his illustrious CV doesn't stop there. He's also played with Sinead O'Connor, Mark Ullman, Thomas Dolby and more recently he joined Johnny Burrell as the drummer for Razorlight. He's the first drummer on the pod, so drum roll please and welcome Matt Hector. Uh, how are you getting on in lockdown? I'm, I'm cool, mate. It's, um, I'd say I go, I'm 90% time I'm good. And yeah. then I allow myself to be pissed off and kind of weirded out by it for about 10% of the time. I don't, mm. I mean, you know, I, I like to see everything as a positive, really. And um, that's mm. kind of my, I'm a half full kind of guy. So, and when I get down, or if I get low, I don't like that feeling. So I tend to bat it out quite quickly. But yeah. I've kind of taken the viewpoint while this is going down that you need to let yourself feel a bit miserable sometimes, you know, because it's, um, I mean, notwithstanding looking at this more broadly, you know, in terms of of all the incredible shit that's going down, um, but just personally, you know, the stuff that's going on to us as individuals, especially as musicians as well. um, So I let, sometimes I let myself feel bad about just the amount of work that's just evaporated this year. I'm sure yeah, it's been the same yeah. for you, you know. I mean, my diary was rammed. It's one yeah. of, it'd been one of the best years really kind of ever. And same for me, actually. It, do you know what? It was actually a godsend because I had a good January, February, which was rare, you know, as a musician. Usually it's, uh, it, you know, the start of the year is the worst part of the year, isn't it? But I was on tour, as you know, yeah. the whole of Jan, Jan and Feb. So I've literally been living off that money, basically. Obviously, it's it's very quickly running out. But and then and then all the gigs I had in the diary, thinking, yes, it's going to be a great year, they just just went overnight, didn't they? Yeah, no, it's kind of. I mean, that's that's a hard thing to deal with, you know. I mean, I've I've got the wall chart, you know, I've got the year planner on my wall with all the yeah. gigs on it. Now I should just throw the stupid thing away, but it's, yeah. it's kind of looking at me, laughing at me, going, ha ha ha, these were the gigs <laughs> you did have. Um, you, you, you can say fucking thing, by the way. You can say whatever you like on it. Oh, I can swear. <laughs> yeah. Fuck, man. <laughs> this is so dangerous. Oh, my God, anything could happen. Um, yeah, no, it's kind of, I mean, I, I was in a similar position to you, you know, December and January um, and November as well. I mean, 
well, you know, I kind of me and Ben picked up the Razorlight gig, and yeah, yeah, that was just kind of just non-stop work for about two months. Um, mm. And then the stuff with Mark Harmon as well. It was just it kind of insane, really. Um, yeah, but yeah. that was preceding this all happening. And like you, without that, I mean, you know, I lived off of that for quite a while. I mean, like musicians tend to do, you know, you kind of, it's feast or famine, isn't it? Um, mm. You earn the money and then, you know, okay, that's me covered for that period and that's sorted. And, and then you fill the diary up again. But if you've got a big tour, it sets you up for quite a while afterwards. Yeah, so, you know, you've got some leeway then and hopefully you fill the diary afterwards anyway. But at the very least, you know, okay, that's, you know, tactically speaking, you know you're kind of covered. So that's yeah, what yeah. happened with me as well. It's like, yeah, great November, great December, great January. Um, and then, so I had that back up, thankfully. But after yeah, that, yeah. yeah, then it all hit, you know. So, I mean, we lost... I wanna... Go on, man, sorry. I was just going to touch on something you said at the beginning because obviously I made made some notes sort of in preparation for this like I do with everyone I have on. And You made and... notes about talking to me. I did, actually. Oh, man, that, yeah, yeah. that makes me feel so excited. <laughs> Can you tell... Oh, well, not the notes are. Go on, carry on, so I'm interrupting. I'll send them to you afterwards. It's just, yeah. it's just a big picture of a penis, basically. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's so disrespectful. I'm your guest. Fuck's sake. Well, um, what I love about you, mate, is that you are so easy to get on with and you're you're so massively positive and you're you're a great team member and you're very respectful and very humble uh, 99% of the time. And... I just, you Are know, you just saying this stuff because you're recording this? <laughs> no, You've never I, said I, that to me ever. I've actually, you... I've actually written it down. I've actually written it down. But, but genuinely, is that something you actually sort of actively think about whilst you're working with people? Because you, you always seem to make an effort with people, no matter who they are. And is that something that you do? And 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 are you like that all the time? Was was the question I was going to ask you? Am I always kind of positive? Yeah. <laughs> I'm really fucking annoying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, really. Um it's not really a conscious decision, it's just um I I don't really know how to be any other way. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm I've always got something that I'm kind of working towards or aiming at and that always keeps me happy and you know, we we're not doing it at the moment, but we do the best job in the world. Really, we do the best job in the world. So, mm. um there's days when all of us are down, but the, I mean, I'm just over the moon to play drums for a living. We're not doing that at the moment, but still. Um, and you know, most of when we when we work together, it's always been with great, great people as well. Sure. Um, making great music for great gigs, and um, I don't know how else to not be happy in that circumstance and grateful. Mm. Um, if I catch myself being a snooty princess. Then you know, you know, you have those moments, didn't you, when you just, you know, oh my god, my lager's a degree too hot. You know, you have that mm. moment when you you kind of you might think it, but I just bat that out of the way really quickly. Um, mm. Which it's which the the best job in the world, so I'm always going to be happy about it, and I'm always positive, and that can wind some people up, I'm sure, but I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> no mate it's it's lovely genuinely you know it's it's um i think that makes that makes you a very uh, you know attractive person to have around oh, you know, because oh yeah <laughs> not attractive in that way obviously <laughs> um but do you know what i mean because you know people just want people that are easy to work with and easy to be on the road with you know and you do a lot of touring and a lot of yeah. you know a lot of time in airports and 
you know, when, when you're choosing, you know, potential band members, you know, you're, you're choosing people sometimes that you can be away for long extended periods with, aren't you? And I think you're, you know, the hang is, is a big part of the, oh, the game, isn't it? Massively, you know, massively. I mean, it's kind of, it's, it gets talked about a lot now, you know. Um, <clears throat> I've done some lecturing to degree guys and the kind of whole thing about don't be a dick, you know, you know, learn your craft, obviously, number one, mm. get your chops down, play well, but then be a, be a good person to hang around with. That, that's definitely, that message is getting through now. But so maybe it's a little bit overdone, but, but I mean, why would you, you want to employ someone that, that everyone gets on with, that's not a pain in the arse, that's um, good um, and improves the experience for everyone. I mean, why would you not employ that person? And... I'm not conscious of that. I'm, I'm, I, t- I see it in other people. Sh- you know Seamus being the keyboard player with Iggy? You met Seamus, yep. haven't you? Yeah, I've met him. He's, he's 99% time happy and positive. And he's, um, he's kind of, he's a little bit older. He's like the generation above us. Or me, not you, because you're like, you're like 18, aren't you? Um, <laughs> uh, but I he's, just said 30, mate. It's <laughs> over for me. <laughs> but he's always... He's just happy. He's nice to be around. Everyone likes Seamus. Um, he's he's got a good knack. Of when we first started doing the Iggy gig, he'd kind of spot when one of us, mainly me and Ben, because we were the newbies, were kind of just having that moment of of like, oh, is this okay? Shit, am I doing okay? And he'd just he'd spot that and go, hey man, that sounded great. And he just seemed to know when someone was having a moment of doubt or needed just a little word in the ear. And I thought that's fantastic, you know, mm. just from two, you know, being pragmatic about it. Just personally, it's fantastic, but professionally as well, you know, he's just he's making sure everyone's playing well, and happy. So that these skills of you know, they're life skills. They're not just skills for music, you know, being sure. attentive to people, being caring, all that stuff comes back on you, I believe. So, yeah. I guess it's team management skills, isn't it? If you can look around, like it's like being in a football team or anything and, and, and seeing uh, somebody that might, you know, be low in confidence or struggling, you, you give them, you know, you give them a good, like sort of in, bit of encouragement. It, it might make them relax and play better or be, yeah. be a better member of that team. And everyone responds to that differently, don't they? I mean, we're, we're always, uh, you know, we always focus on the criticism from people, don't we, in this industry? Yeah, you know, completely. It's, it's always that one negative comment on YouTube that that sticks with you. <laughs> so I think I think we're quite we can be quite precious at times as musicians, can't we? So it's it's good sometimes to have somebody that just goes, "That's great, man." You know? Yeah, no, completely. <laughs> yeah. And and that's that's why those people are cool to hang around and have around. And Seamus is one of those people. And um, yeah, yeah. So. I mean, going back to to answer your question, it's not something I do on purpose. You know, I just, I just want to enjoy what I do and I want to be happy in life, period. So I'm I'm generally just decide to be happy. Yeah, That's yeah. really boring and dull. I'm so, I'm so fucking happy. Oh, my God. I love you guys. No, but no. I, mean, I can be a grumpy fucker sometimes as well, but just not, not very often. Oh, mate, but it's a great ethos to have and it, and it shows, you know. And you know what I'm grumpy, actually, you know what I'm grumpy about? You know, I've got my fucking hair. I'm glad this is a podcast. <laughs> I look like like a shitty grey bush. It's just like the only good thing about my it's my, my beard. I've trimmed my beard. That looks pretty good, you know. But I can't get away with this big bouffant of hair like you. 
You know, you could, I mean, you could literally not cut your hair or wash it for weeks like you don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but mine, I, oh, my God, I look like just, just this, there's no style. To it. It's just like a big grey mass of shit. So there you go. I'm, right. gr- I'm grumpy about that. <laughs> grumpy about that, yeah. Grumpy about my fucking hair. Shave it off, mate. You look like Walter White, I think. Unfortunately, I've got, I've got a humongously big head. You can't really <laughs> tell usually, but you can tell by the size of my forehead, which is the size of um, Wales. But no, my head's really massive, and if I shave it off, I look even more of a dick. Oh, hey. Brilliant. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, that's one thing Matt Hector's annoyed about people. Uh, yeah. It, send, send us an email with, uh, with comments <laughs> about Matt's hair. Um, are you keeping fit at the moment? You're big into your fitness, aren't you? Uh, it's a tough one. Um, you know what, I kind of did that whole thing that I think a lot of people did at the beginning of this, which was, right, I'm going to be the fittest and practice my nuts off and be come out of this uber fit, uber, uber kind of like chopping and chopsy. And um, it's been harder recently, you know, um, but still reasonably, reasonably fit. How are you getting on with it? You're training later, aren't you? I've been doing I've been doing insanity and that kind of the home kind of hit workout stuff. Yeah. Um, just because we've got limited space here and it's and it's sort of high intensity and it keeps the weight off me because I haven't been able to play football or anything. Obviously, which you know I love, but I know you're more into your weightlifting and stuff, aren't you? And, and... <laughs> this sounds so shit. <laughs> yeah, I know you're <laughs> but into it's true, but it's, it's yeah, really no, interesting I'm really actually. Buff, and... man. Yeah, my personal but... best on a clean and jerk. Oh, that's <laughs> but such actually, a it, it's just, it's just another. Another thing that I think is interesting because some musicians are just so unhealthy, <laughs> and I, I know there's been times where we, you know, we've been on tour and been on the road, and I think for mental health and everything, I think it's really important to actually look after yourself. And and you know, I've I've seen you party as well. You know, you can party with the best of them, but <coughs> you know, but but do you but do you think do you think that fitness side of things is is good, especially as a drummer keeping in shape and. It's good. It's something I do. Again, it's not a conscious decision. It's not a strategic decision. It's just something I, I like feeling healthy and fit and able to do whatever I want to do. Um, so I've always kind of, before I was a musician, I was into lots of sport anyway. So I, as a young guy, it was kind of a toss up between sport and music. Um, but equally, it helps, of course it helps, you know. If you're kind of mm. carrying another person around with you on your belly, you know, apart from the fact it doesn't look good and whether we like it or not, the way you look in this industry does matter. Um, you know, as as guys, we can get away with a hell of a lot more, unfairly, than, than women can, unfortunately. Um, mm. But still... You know, I mean, you're you're a complete princess. You know, you <laughs> really. I mean, I, I mean, I thought I used a lot of moisturiser until I saw that vat you kind of rolled up with for the first tour. That's so, unfair. That's unfair. <laughs> so I My can't. hands are so dry. At the so moment. you've been nice to me now, and I'm kind of like <laughs> swinging at you. I'll stop it. Um, yeah, but looking looking good is important. You know, it's kind of um, uh, it's part of. I tell you, it's part of my approach to thinking about what can I do in every department as a musician and a professional to be successful. And <clears throat> so uh, number one, play well. Number two, don't be a dick. Number three, have the right gear, be professional and, and look the part. So all yeah. those things, uh, you know, holistically, hopefully make me employable, mm, you know. Absolutely. So that, that kind of fitness thing, although it's something I enjoy, it's definitely something as well, I think, you know, if I'm not looking like shit that's not a bad thing so um and that is something that i've talked to people about before image is really important and and the way you look 
I mean, or is it? What do you think? I mean, I do think it's important. Do you think it's important? You, you I, do. I know I, you do. I, I've been shopping me, fuck's sake. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I just admitted that. I was, I was having this conversation with, um, with Carol Decker, actually. Her podcast is going out as we're recording this um, next week, the second oh, cool. one I'm going to release. And, um, and I've, I don't think it's vain to, to say that image is important in show business, you know. And it doesn't mean you have to, you know, you have to be negative about the way anyone else looks or anything like that. It's just about making you the best you you can be. Because, yeah. it's, it, you know, it is about the package. You know, if Lady Gaga didn't look the way she did... You know, it, it, the way she looks sort of couples itself perfectly with her sort of slightly weird music and persona and the vocal style. And, you know, I, and, and I think if Elvis hadn't looked the way he had, maybe he wouldn't have been the star yeah. he was. You know, it's, it's, I think, you know, it's all relative and it doesn't mean you have to look a certain way. But, you know, some things just make sense as a package. And that, that's the way I, I look at it anyway. Yeah, completely. And it obviously, it's, it's obviously worked for you anyway, you know, obviously you've got, in terms of gigs, you know, you've got a couple of the the best session gigs in the world, really. I mean, mm. can, we, can, we, can we talk about Iggy? I mean... Of course, man, yeah, yeah. You know, such, such, a, such a legend, you know, the, God, the godfather of punk. And uh, was, was the first gig, I know it eventually got cancelled, but you, you get the call and it's, it's Iggy at Wembley Stadium, right? Supporting the Foo Fighters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, weirdly, at the time, we were gutted that that was cancelled because Dave Grohl broke his leg. But yeah. uh, in hindsight, thank God. <laughs> you know what I mean? First gig, first gig with, with Iggy doing, doing that, you know. Um, yeah. How did it come about in the first place? How did you get the, well, get the audition? Um, was it an audition or a gig? Or? It was, well, you know, you know, you know Kevin Armstrong, yeah, one of, one Kev, of my... Kev's going to be on the pod as well. Oh, great. Kev's <laughs> one of my dearest friends. So um, he rang, you know, Iggy approached, or Iggy and Henry's management approached Kevin, and I have it five, six, six years ago now, and they wanted to put together a new band. Um, and uh, Ben was kind of, Ben Ellis was a shoo-in for that gig already. Um He's just he suits he suits Iggy Pop gig straight away. So he was kind of a call from Kevin. He's, Sh- for anyone who doesn't know, Ben's an unbelievable bass player, and he he really is a special guy, isn't he? He's just oh. I've never seen someone with fingers like him. Like they're they're so callous to the point where they're almost like double the size. And he, I've never he doesn't play with a pick, and he just hits the bass so yeah. hard. It's just like you could take one of his fingers off and beat someone with it. It's just like a yeah. big lump of gristle <laughs> and meat. <laughs> yeah, but then he's just the sweetest guy as well. But um, yeah, sorry, carry That's on. That's right, man. Um, yeah, so I mean, the band was kind of they. Uh, Iggy's management had a drummer they liked the sound of, and what they wanted to use. Mm-hmm. And and Kevin rang me and said um, that he'd got the call for this, and they they asked Kevin to put a band together and be the MD of it. Um, but he said they've got a drummer. But I think there's a little gap in the door for you. If you can send me um, some audio or a video um, of you playing for me to kind of say, look, I'd like this guy to do it. So I literally, I was, I think I was at Heathrow just coming back off from a gig. And he called me while I was just outside the airport and said, right, okay, you've got this chance. It's a tiny chance. They've got someone they already want to use. What can you do? So I said, okay, I'll get back to you tomorrow morning. And on the, in the drive to um, to home that day, um, I organised a video guy to come and shoot a video. Um, I went and I shaved my head into a mohawk, 
because I was looking way too kind of boy bandish at the time. Um, uh, ripped, dude, ripped the arms off my T-shirt, got my old Gretsch drum kit out and just battered the living hell out of this kit and got this guy to film it that day. And then we edited the film together and the audio and sent that to Kevin. So this was all done in the space of kind of like six hours. It's just like, here's a chance, you've got to grab it now. It's a small chance because they've got someone they want to use, go for it. So I just kind of threw everything at it. And then by the end of the day, got Kevin the video and they liked it. And I was in the band. So it was kind of that, no real, no real audition, just the kind of uh, convincing the management that the guy that Kevin wanted to use could, could do the job. Mm. But, you know, you've properly put yourself out there, haven't you, by doing that? And I remember the, the only, uh, a similar thing, it just popped into my brain. I, I did this uh, TV advert a few years ago. <coughs> and it, it was for, I think it was for Curry's PC World or something. And I was, I was, I was uh, auditioning for a, uh, what like a, an eighties like hair metaller or something, you know? So I, I can't imagine you doing that. Yeah, I know. I, <laughs> but you know, I literally turned up to audition with with like makeup on, and <coughs> my hair back combed, and um, and I wore like flares and uh, you know, ridiculous jewelry and stuff like that. And and you know, I just thought to, I looked ridiculous, but I just thought to myself, there's going to be loads of guys who look a bit like me with long hair. Yeah, and it was just—it's just for a small part in a TV ad, but you know, it was quite a, quite a few thousand pounds on the line. Is you know, and I thought I'm just gonna I'm just gonna make that effort, you know, because yeah. you have to make it obvious for people, don't you, in this game? And you know, if they see you with the with the right kit, you know, and the right attitude, looking the right way, you know, and it, it obviously had an impression, mate, because you got the gig. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and what you're touching on, which is something I've talked about with with students before, um, <clears throat> is understanding other people's expectations of you. Hmm. Now, in a kind of that audition scenario, they're, they're going to expect you to be keen and prepared to do everything to get that gig and um, understanding what the other musicians around you are thinking, what they expect from you, that's really important. And being able to kind of understand what other people are thinking or try and put your empathise with them in a kind of pragmatic, professional way to think... What kind of guy are they looking for? What kind of attitude do they want from me? And, you know, that's how I've approached it. Some people just be themselves, which is completely cool. And that works for some people. I'm a little bit more um, cognizant of it, you know, of, mm. of, of making sure I'm aware of people and what they're feeling and thinking. And um, that's a real valuable tool as well. I mean, and obviously, you nailed as well, man. Yeah, I tried to. Yeah, I, th I think you just have to make it obvious for people, you know. You, you have to... If if you're the right person for the gig, and you know there might there might be two or three people who are equally as good and equally as qualified, but if like you say, if you go that extra step and you know just try and make it obvious for them, so you're the obvious choice. Yeah. You know, um, you know, like say say there was something I don't know, something David Essex. There was a David Essex musical that, that he was in, involved in a while back. You know, the the fact that I'm I would ham up the fact that my dad's side of the family are Romany gypsies, you know, and yeah. I would because uh, I know David Essex was a gypsy and I, I would I would lead with that, you know. Yeah. And cool. then and all, all the rest of the, the singing stuff would be after that, because for that particular thing, that makes sense. You yeah. Know? You have to just you have to just you have to lead with the, the strongest stuff, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, completely. That's, that's being smart about it, you know. And not, and not everyone is smart about stuff, and mm. that works for some people, but I'm not prepared just to leave things down to luck. You know? Yeah. There's a lot of luck involved, of course, but I'd like to make that the smallest percentage possible. Mm. 
actually a funny another funny story like like that that I've just thought of is is uh when my band played Isle of Wight Festival, we got the gig because I obviously John you know we'll, we we can speak about John I guess when we talk about Gutter um John Giddings he's an amazing guy he owns Isle of Wight Festival and he's a huge agent he's David Bowie's agent U2's agent Sting's agent etc and um. I, we'd played Isle of Wight Festival with Gutter Dammering, hadn't we? Yeah. And I, I, I was trying to get romances at a gig there, and I was like, how can I, how can I get them down? Because John's lovely, but he's the busiest guy ever. So I was like, how can I get them to come see us? So I booked a gig in Putney, knowing that that's where his company's office was. I did it on purpose. I booked yeah. the entire yeah, gig because yeah, yeah. I knew that Solo was based in Putney and I invited them down and Rick, one of the agents, came down and he saw us and he liked it and we got the gig at Isle of Wight Festival. You know, and some people might think, Jesse, that's really creepy, mate. You know, but I, you know, it worked. You know, it got us the gig because I, I, I'd literally done that research, found out where the easiest place to do a gig was for them to walk. Yeah, no, <laughs> you know, that's and complete. That's brilliant. That's a great story, and that's really, that's. I mean, how many people do we know that have been successful by being like chilled and relaxed and just kind of? I mean, it happens, but most of the, the biggest artists we could kind of think about. They've got there by being driven and focused and obsessive and and a little bit weird. So mm. you know, and I think I think we are you know we are a bit weird, you know. And I, yeah, yeah. Which I'm glad about. I'd never want to be normal. And so that obsessiveness and um, drive and focus, they're they're things I'm proud to have. So and you've got that as well, man. And these things, you know, if you want to remove the element of luck, this is what you need to do. Because mm. lots of people want to do this. Yeah. yeah I, I want to talk about um, the gigs themselves and what it's like being on stage with Iggy. But can, can you just let uh, uh, people listening know what, what Iggy's like off stage? Uh, what, is, he, is he the same on as off stage? <laughs> no. How would no, how, like, you, you get on with him? He's really cool. He's like, a, he's like the coolest, friendly old granddad. You know, he's kind of... Oh, God, I don't want to get told off for saying that, but he kind of is, you know. He's a, he's a, he's you know, in his seventies now. Um, he's just really relaxed and friendly and happy, and um, you know, he's. We've talked before gigs about because he used to play drums. That's what he started on. So we talked mm. about drums before. Um, generally, we don't see that much of him because at a gig he's warming up. He before a gig he's gym, and as he starts to wind himself up, he becomes Iggy. Mm. Um, so. Th- Directly before he's in his own space until we go on stage and we're kind of in a huddle and, we, and he's screaming at us, yeah, come on, motherfuckers! Um, and afterwards we have a glass of wine and a chat sometimes and he's just really cool and friendly. And, and uh, with us, personally, he's only ever been complimentary and supportive and, and happy. So um, I'm sure that's not always been the case in the past, with, yeah. <laughs> you know. But off stage, he's just a real dude, man. He's He's... Bright, intelligent, articulate, and knowledgeable um, about most things. So he's cool to be around, and uh, yeah, and he's a dude, man. Were you scared the first time you met him? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Siggy yeah. Pop, <laughs> fuck, man. Yeah. I mean, I mean, luckily, so we were rehearsing at John Henry's the first time we kind of played together, and we were in the room rehearsing, and he kind of just walked in while we were playing and mm. grabbed the mic and started singing. So there's no real moment of. Okay, let's play this. It's just he just started. Wow. He just joined in, um, and then afterwards came and said hello. So oh, hi guys, I'm Jim, and I mean he's, he had nervous energy about him. So I think maybe 
I mean, I wouldn't. I think maybe we're all a little bit nervous. You know, playing with mm. people for the first time is a big deal. So, um, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's incredible. I mean, I think I was more nervous actually. The first gig we did with him, um, bef- the night before, Henry Rollins does a really great stand-up um, story about playing with, trying to kind of blow Iggy off the stage. I won't, I won't recount it now. You should go and check it out. But basically, he just tells his story about this screaming animal that would. That would demolish the stage, and I'm thinking, oh my god, what's he going to do tomorrow? He's going to smash up the stage. <laughs> He's going to be crazy. He's going to kind of, you know, there'll be blood everywhere. Be, I was so kind of nervous about that, but as it turned out, it was just a really cool gig in, I think it was Denmark or maybe Holland, a place called Down the Rabbit Hole. Mm. And so, obviously, you've done some incredible gigs with him. Is there any ones that kind of stand out more than others? Course, um. I mean, the, the Milton Keynes gigs, which were the basically the replacement with the Foo Fighters gigs mm. that were cancelled before that were supposed to be at Wembley Stadium. We did three nights at Milton Keynes, like, I think like 80,000 each night. That was... Oh, you came to that one, didn't you? I was there, Yeah, mate. you were yeah. there, man. That was crazy to do a gig with Iggy on, on home, home Soil quite early on. So that we'd done about mm. four gigs up to that point. So that was pretty memorable. Um, our first kind of trip abroad, I think we went to Brazil, and that was just... Brazilian fans are just insane. Sao Paulo, um, God, Desert Days. We did a gig in the Joshua Tree, that was incredible as well. You know, man, it's tough. So many gigs and so many great gigs over the last six years. I've just been blessed to do them all. I'm trying to. You know, have you been able to? Have you been able to enjoy them, or is it such a whirlwind? When when you're in the moment, do you, have you been constantly reminding yourself, like, look around you. You're on stage with Iggy Pop. <laughs> um, you know what? I kind of, I almost got bit in the ass by that on the first gig. So we, it's this down the rabbit hole gig, and we went on. We were all nervous, you know. Um, and mm. then halfway, I think we did the passenger on a second or third song, maybe third or fourth. Um, and there's a part in that where it just ends up, just comes down to the drums, and the lights were across the audience, and it was just huge. And I'm sitting there yeah. playing the passenger, and I'm like, oh man, this is this is the fucking best thing in the world, and smiling, and then got distracted almost and that was just like first gig it was like ah no oh, one second you know mm, <laughs> let's just not get too yeah, carried yeah. away here with what's going down and um so i i suppose i do enjoy it but equally i'm very focused you know yeah, yeah. yeah i'm very focused on because we, we, we're essentially there you know it's it's iggy pop it's not iggy pop and matt kevin ben shameless it's iggy pop we're there to support him so you know, when we go on stage every time, I'm focused like a laser on him, on the show, on Kevin, um, just making sure that night after night, even on a night that's not our best, that we're still really great. So it never drops to below that level. Even on a bad night, it's great. And then on a great night, it's incredible. So um, I definitely enjoy it, but I'm, 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 I'm there to do, do a job. That sounds a bit dull, but it's just this the truth of it, really. Well, it's good advice as well, isn't it, not to get carried away? Yeah, I mean, I I, I'm not suggesting that people should enjoy. You know, and I'm not, I don't enjoy them, um, and that's just not the case. But equally, I'm just very much. This is this is this is party time. You know, this is focus time, um, and the people on that stage are there for a reason. You know, with Iggy, and that's mm-hmm. because we can we, we can night after night deliver what he needs to be Iggy Pop. And that's that. There's nothing more important than that. You know, what I play is not important. What any of us plays is not important individually. It's that we create this foundation 
for Iggy Pop to sit on top of that and, and be the star that he is. So, mm. well, it's, an, it's an amazing show. Obviously, I've been so lucky that I've been been able to hang out with you guys and see you side stage a few times. And what I love about it is the the noise oh, just man. coming off the stage. I mean, the amps are turned up. You know, you've got that big old kit and it, it's a loud stage. He's got side fills. For those of you that don't know, side fills are like having a PA system pointing in towards the stage. And uh, it's like, you know, how they used to do it, isn't it? And there's it's proper rock and roll. Yeah, it's a rock and roll show. You know, it's a proper rock and roll show. And you guys deliver that, like you say, this high energy, high octane thing, I guess, to, you know, he needs to feel that oomph, doesn't he, to get to get the, the beast he, out, I suppose. Yeah, he wants to physically feel it, you know. He wants to be engulfed in noise, you know. Yeah. Um, and if it's quiet, he doesn't like that. He, he wants it loud, you know. I mean, we're on stage with big amps, you know. Ben's got two Ampeg stacks, um, and it, it's physically tiring. The volume is physically tiring. It's mm. unlike anything I've ever done. Um, but that's kind of what he wants, and and equally, that's... It's it's a physical fight almost. It's an yeah. audible and and I think if it was too smooth and easy, then maybe we wouldn't have that same edge to it. You know, when yeah, you watch absolutely. us on stage, it's sometimes it's physically painful. Mm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I remember we did this song called TVI, and we we um we hadn't done it before, and we rehearsed it in the in the dressing room. And um, we played it, and there's this breakdown part in it. We we didn't really know. I mean, the guys knew it. Kevin Seamus, but me and Ben not that well, and our monitor guy didn't know it that well. But in the breakdown of this song, Iggy screams into this into the mic. It's like a, just a guttural. With the, the, the mic goes in his gob and he screams as loud as he can. Now the monitor mm. guy, um, Yogi, who you know, um, didn't know this was coming. So Iggy's already definitely loud on stage, you know, through every, yeah. you know. So all of a sudden, halfway through the, this this kind of pause, he screams his lungs out and. And I almost pass out because he's so loud in my wedge because Yogi hadn't turned it down because he didn't know this was coming. I literally, I, I was swaying on my seat from the, the mm. physical volume. It's like a kind of like a, um, a, a weapon of mass destruction. It's just kind of like, what was that? And just managed to hold on to my kind of senses to keep it going. But yeah, that volume, man, it's, that's what rock and roll is like. You know, when, yeah, we, yeah. when we turn up to a festival, this is another thing I love about Iggy, you know, we'll be headlining or, you know, what, at the top of the bill, and there'll be these bands with us as well, and they'll come, they'll turn up with like ten arctics of production gear, of lights mm. and staging, and and God knows whatever to put on this incredible show. And we turn up with Clyde in a transit van with our backline, guitar, bass, drums, and keys, and that's it. It's just mm. a band plonked onto stage with Iggy in front of it. There's no kind of fancy lasers or crap going on. It's just like this is what it's about this is what started everything that loud rock and roll noise from a guy a, a group of guys with their instruments just playing that's what it mm. is well, that's what I love it I, I want to go back briefly and just talk about talk about you and your upbringing and stuff and your musical kind of upbringing but this this might be a tough question to answer but do you think do you think the Iggy gigs changed you oh completely it's, it's such a such a massive gig, isn't it? I mean, it's that dream gig. And, you know, you, I know you guys have been flying around in private jets and airport lounges and everything. And, you know, how do you, how do you stay grounded after getting a gig like that? Oh, I, thought, I mean, I was, I was, I was say it's changed musically. Has it changed me personally? Um, 
It's given me confidence, I think. Not that I was an unconfident person anyway. Um, but, you know, you work really hard to do well in, in the job and the thing that's important to you in music. And having something that feels like it's proper success, you know, and for playing with Iggy Pop, it's pretty... I, I, I think that is classed as success, which is in my book anyway. Mm. Um, that gave me a content, contentment and a happiness and a confidence... Maybe in a confidence in as much that I don't need to, I've got nothing to prove now, you know. Mm. So that, that was the positive change. I don't think it's made me feel negatively cocky or anything like that. Um, a few more tattoos. Yeah, a few more tattoos, <laughs> beards, um, look a lot older. Um, I twat the drums really hard now. Um, yeah, I personally, not. I think it's just, it's just, Maybe even happier, which is really, yeah, you know. But well, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> it, I, 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 the, the amount of travelling we've done over the last six or seven years as well, and um, it, I think it's e- it would be easy to get yourself lost in it. You know, we we go to festivals and we kind of not by nature of who we are. You know, Matt Hector drummer. It's you know we get treated really well because we're in Iggy's orbit, but mm. we're on these 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 festival sites and. We're at the top of the tree in those places, you know. People want to help us get whatever you want. So I think if you didn't take that for what it is, which is just a lovely thing to happen to you, but it's not something you necessarily, you know, you should expect all the time. It's just a nice tree. Just like the, the whole jet thing, the private jet, it's just like this is just insane. This is mm-hmm. kind of surreal rather than, yeah, man, I, I belong on private jets, I belong with people running around yeah. and all that kind of <laughs> bullshit. you just got to laugh, smile, be grateful, enjoy it. Um and then just go on to the next thing and, and go and play a pub in bloody, you know, I don't know, New Cross or something. You know, this is the highs and lows of being a musician. Mm. Well, that, I, that's the thing. I mean, I, I always use the, the example of when it was you, you and me, uh, we just finished playing with Gutter Dammering, which obviously we'll talk about in, um, in Belgium. And uh, we'd done that show, I think it was about 18,000 people. It was one of the biggest ones of the tour. Um, yeah. Then L- Liam Gallagher was on after us. And then we watched Paul McCartney right at the front. That's right, we, yeah. We, we, uh, we sort of had our arms around each other, drinking red wine, <laughs> watching McCartney do Blackburn. And I was like, I was like, this is it now. This, these are the gigs I do now. Yeah, you know? yeah. And then, yeah. and then obviously, you know, you soon realise after the tour's over that, like you say, you know, you're back at the dog and duck, aren't you? Unless you've got a gig that you know is all year round, or or it's your own band, you know. Mm. Um, you know, when when you're doing what we do as session people, that's that's what happens, isn't it? It's back to you know, back to back home and back to pubs. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? You know, but Not... that what's really important about that is that, you know, what I love about making, I love playing live, I love mm. making music. I don't really, of course, I these big stages are incredible, but I still want to do every gig I possibly can. You know, I don't mm. care if I'm playing the dog and duck. I don't wanna, mm. If there's someone says you want to come to this gig, I'll say yes. I want to mm. play small gigs. I want to play gig. I want to play every single gig I possibly can. I love them all. Maybe not all of them, but so I don't <laughs> want to get to a point where I think, oh my god, it's only thirty thousand people. I'm not going to get on stage for this. You know, that's just never going to happen. <laughs> you know, now the, you know we've we've done every size of gigs me and you together as well. You know, and yeah. and I love every, I've, you know <laughs> the, some of the recent gigs we've done. They've been great. The first one I did mm. with you guys, I mean London, was brilliant. I had a really great time, and it had yeah. nothing to do with the crowd or size, big or small. It's just we we're on stage making music. And I loved it. Yeah. It could have yeah. been to no one and I'd have been just as happy. So keeping hold of that and not thinking, 
you can only perform to a big crowd. I mean, maybe it's different for a singer. I don't know. Is it different for you? As a drummer, I'm I'm by nature at the back anyway. So yeah, it's. I think. I think the difference being, it's definitely easier to perform to a more willing crowd. I'm sure it's the same for you as sure. well. You know, like if you're playing in a hotel or something, and and there's you know there's five people there, it's difficult energy-wise. Yeah. And actually, it's quite unfair to be judged by those performances. I think because uh, there was an example of that where I was singing in a hotel, and there wasn't there's probably ten people there, and you know, and I I I was doing a good gig. It was it was cool. And then a friend of mine was there and was filming it and put it online. And I immediately had this comment from somebody. And it's, again, it's like the, the negative comments stick in your head. And it was like, oh, that guy's got no charisma at all. And and I, I wanted to re- you know reply to him, look, mate, there's fucking five people here. This yeah. is, you know, we, we've done three 40 minute sets. I'm knackered. I'm giving it and we're doing rock and roll. And I'm doing my best here. You know? <laughs> yeah, completely, uh, man. E- even though, you know. You know, I try and play every gig like it's Wembley, you know. Um, but yeah, you know, I guess just energy level wise, you know, it's it's a give and take between an audience, isn't it? And if you're yeah. getting nothing back off the audience and then it's difficult. But... I think I think that's I think that's more. I definitely feel that. But I definitely think as a, as a singer, you know, you're 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 front facing, you know, I'm at the back of the band looking at all of you guys. Um, mm. So I, I'm a little bit more insulated from that. So I completely appreciate if you're singing at a crowd and you're trying to, you know, you're personally giving them your performance and you're just getting these blank faces back, I can understand how that's more tricky for a singer. You know, it's a different dynamic to, to the drummer being at the back. Um, so, no, I completely get that, man. Yeah. And, okay, so like you were saying about uh, twatting the drums with Iggy, yeah. and I know that that wasn't always your kind of style of playing. Obviously, you know, you're not... You're not a twatty drummer, but you know. But uh, you've been way too nice to me. What's going on, man? You go, go, come, come. But you know, you you started off playing very different type of music, didn't you? So how how has your kind of musical journey gone? How did you start, and how did you end up here, kind of thing? Oh, man, it's 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 just funny how things work out. I mean, I kind of started off more in the kind of function, really, with little drums and kind of. Um, tickling them a little bit more and being a groovy kind of guy, um, acid jazz and that kind of thing. And um, that was where I was happiest. And that's probably, if I was just to stop playing for five years and then pick them up again, that's probably the natural sound I'd make, you know, it's a, right. bit, a bit groovier. I've had to learn to be more visceral and dumber. No, I don't I think dumb's, it's a painful word to use, but it's probably accurate for... Looser, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, looser and kind of... It needs to look like it's been dragged out of me a little bit more, you know. Mm. Um, the first gig we did with Iggy, we watched the footage back and I looked like, you know, I thought I was my arms were fly, flailing around everywhere, but you watch the video and I'm barely moving at all. So I realised right. quite I needed to move more. Um, but, um, yeah, so starting out as a musician, I was just... Um, kind of funk groove really was my thing. Um, I really did can't... train? Um, I went to a guy, only really one guy, who a lot of drummers would have gone to, a guy called Bob Armstrong, mm, for a while. Yeah. You probably heard of his name before. My, you know, my friend Dan Weston. He's he um he trained with Bob for yeah. years. So, yeah, yeah. I think anyone, any drummers that are, became. I mean, Bob's got has died now, unfortunately. Um, but any drummer that was serious about being a professional drummer, I don't know five or six years ago, or even longer than that, would always go. To, Bob was the guy that people would end up going to. Once you got serious, so most drummers will have 
if I've not been to him, they'd have thought about going to him. So, um, yeah, so Bob kind of taught me. Not not for that long, sporadically. I didn't kind of go for religiously. There was definitely some guys you'll find who are kind of like Bob disciples. Um, and I wasn't one of those. I was a bit more naughty. I didn't practice as much as I should have. <laughs> uh, um, so I trained with Bob. But then I just, I just gigged all the time. You know, that's... I think one of my strongest things as a musician is is musical intuition and being aware of what's going on around me and, like you say, being a good team member on stage. And that stuff's come from gig after gig after gig, doing, like you, gigs that were, I've not known the songs and being in just musical situation after musical situation where I've had to hone all those skills. Um, yeah, so that's kind of where I started. And I kind of... I, I met Kevin, actually, was the, the kind of start of my trip to Iggy. I was doing a a gig in Tuscany for some of the guys from the TED Talks, the, the head guy from TED Talks, and a guy called Thomas Dolby was there, mm. who really liked my playing. I played on his album and I met Kevin, and that was kind of all electronic music and playing a lot more delicately. Um, but me and Kevin, we spent a lot of time together. We toured the States with Thomas on the tour bus, and he kind of... You know, you meet certain people in your, in your life as a, music, as a musician who have a really big effect on, on you musically. Um, for a whole number of reasons. And Kevin was and still is one of those people, you know. Mm. He's really hard on me. He gives me a real hard time. And I wouldn't have it any any other way. He always has. But he's like an older brother. Um, and being around him, I've learnt a lot. He's taught me directly and indirectly. Um, with Iggy, I had to change what I did to fit, and he's helped with that. Um, you know, he's not overly complimentary driven he won't kind of give you a compliment for the sake of it he'll definitely tell you something shit <laughs> he's got <laughs> he's got zero tact <laughs> you know he's, he's like he's just he's painful sometimes but you know, there's a few people like that in my musical career that have really helped me kind of move on another level Kevin, Kevin's one of those people you must have had some people like that yeah I mean Kevin's definitely one of them for me as well um um like I said earlier I'm, I'm gonna definitely have him on the pod I was chatting to him about it yesterday actually um and yeah, it's just one of the most musical uh, guitar players I've ever met, and just always plays the right thing, and yeah. knows 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 instantly the right guitar to play and the right sound and the right pedal, and um, that that's a whole kind of skill in itself, isn't it? You know, just um, you know, a whole sort of lo different level of musicianship where he can listen to a record from the '60s and go, "That's a telly through this amp, and I need to use a bit of a bit of slapback, or you know, whatever." Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely, Kevin. Um, yeah, I mean, there's been, like you say, there's, there's, there's actually this sounds really wanky, but there's a line in one of our songs, which is, uh, "Take a good look in the mirror. There's a piece of everyone you know," and I, I really yeah, yeah. believe that. You know, every everyone you meet has an impact on you. Uh, especially in this game, you know, every every time you're in a band with someone or do a gig with somebody, you know, bits of them rub off on you, and you just become this collage of of pieces of all your all your colleagues and friends. And yeah, um, and that's the only, you know you can um, you can I've learned more from being around other good musicians than anything else. You know, if you if you're you guys listen to this and you know you're starting out, you're young musicians, go and do as many gigs as you can, but listen to the old players around you. You know, some mm. talk a lot of shit. I'm not suggesting you listen to everything. Filter what you listen to. But um, if you pay attention on the stage to the people that know what they're doing, you know, 
when someone gives you a dirty look, understand why they're doing that. If someone gives mm-hmm. you a bit of advice about that, listen to them because they've probably learned that from experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so the lessons are there to be had, not in a kind of a lesson with a drum teacher or a singer teacher, but with other musicians. And that's where I've learned the most. Sure. Like on like proper on the job experience yeah. based learning. Yeah. yeah. The stuff that's really important, you know, because that, you know, the, the, as soon as you're gigging, no one gives a shit about your technique. You know, yeah, yeah. does it sound good? Does it feel good? Does it look good? Great. You're hired. I don't give a crap if you're kind of your Moella technique or, you know, you're hitting the cymbal in the right way or you're, you're using your diaphragm properly. You know, who gives a shit? Mm. Does it sound yeah, good? Yeah. You know, is it making yeah. me, is it making me go, yeah, fuck yeah, this is great. You know, if it's not, mm. then try again. That one of the things, uh, changing the subject slightly, that, that used to really irk me about you is that, you know, most musicians, um, have ways and means of earning money all the time some might teach some might do you know like we talked about pub gigs or whatever and this podcast is called staying alive it's about how people manage to you know complement their career and and keep their career going um through the years and not only are you a good looking drummer you you also were a fireman yes (laughs) for many years (laughs) so how a, a how was that sort of as a as a complimentary thing to your music, did it, how was that balance for you? And, um, and was it good for you doing something so completely different to music alongside your gigs? Yes, completely. I mean, I always, when this kind of stuff comes up, I always, I'm reminded of Bill Withers talking about, um, the job, you know, Bill Withers had had success late in his life, well, relatively late. And he was working, he was building loos, toilets on Mm -hmm. planes. Um, and, there was kind of a down-to-earth thing about with Bill Withers, which I really loved. Mm. And I think you can, if you can have something very different in your life outside of music that grounds you and um, keeps you aware of of the real world, because music's it's definitely not the real world. It's it's a kind of crazy, fucked-up, beautiful place. Mm. But it's not, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not working at Tesco's, is it? So. No. And having an appreciation of that stuff's really important. And the thing with working in the fire service was, you know, it's literally life and death sometimes. Mm. So that has kind of partly informed who I am as a person, that um, I value music above everything else, but I equally know, um, you know, if we do a gig and it goes wrong, if no one's died, then hey, hey ho. You know, because that's kind of my mentor, actually. Sometimes when I come home and I've had a bad gig, they will say, how was the gig? And I'll go... Uh, people came, they clapped, no one died. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. This is, in the scheme of things, it's, it's hard to, you know, because we, especially people like Menu, we take this very seriously. We don't take ourselves seriously, we take the music very seriously. So sure. um, in those circumstances, when thing goes, things go wrong, you know, you get so you can get so caught up in that and you can worry mm. about the minutia so much and you know i'm completely one of those obsessive people as well i'll be worrying about a hi-hat beat in the third verse in the second bar it's like damn it why did i play that slightly late and yeah you know but then when you step back from it and you have some context outside of music some context of life it's like hey man <laughs> fucking relax you know you're doing a great you do you're making a living out of music is the best thing in the world just chill, you know, and that that's the most important thing for me that when I was a fireman that that brought. And also, you know, I do 
I'd do some big gigs and then I'd come and hang out with five guys that would just take the piss out of me remorselessly, <laughs> which you know, I, <laughs> you know, I like. You know, I like yeah, I yeah. like taking the piss and having the piss taken out of me. I think it's just, I love that. I just love that kind of humour. You know, I, I never want to be yeah. taken too seriously and vice versa. Yeah, yeah. So, was it quite a sweet moment when you sort of? when you had all those gigs with Iggy and you had to go and sort of hand your notice in at the fire station, was that a bit of a sweet moment for you? Like, I'm, I'm well, leaving. Were the guys happy for you as well when you left? I mean, I, I, mean, I didn't leave because of cause gigs, you know. I was, I, was, I was managing to manage both those things for a long time without any real problem. And I left mm. um, for, for different reasons, really, not because of Iggy, because I'd been with Iggy for a little bit of time since oh, then. Right. Okay. So, um, you know, I kept... I should have I should have probably left earlier later uh, sooner sorry, but I didn't just because I think I, I, I like I say I valued that ex, that experience and because uh, a lot of people haven't got that you get you get insulated in music and lose sight of things so I valued that effect on me as a person yeah. and also the uniform kind of you know, it ticked a few boxes for <laughs> a few people. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. So we actually met on this crazy project called Gutter Damarung. Um, and I'm really glad you're on the pod because I've been trying to explain this project for years to people. And it's it's such a complicated, weird, uh, but wonderful project. So I guess you can help me explain to people what it was and how much fun it was. And uh, oh, man. What, what a crazy experience it was. <laughs> no, it's, it, this is the problem with it. It's, it's always been a tricky thing to explain. But the way I kind of explain it to people is imagine you go to a theatre and you're watching an incredible black and white film like you would at a cinema, but you've got a live band playing the soundtrack to the film. And then sometimes the live band comes out and play and joins in on the film playing live. And that's kind of how I've kind of frame it. Because yeah. unless you see it, <laughs> it's hard to really explain because it's way more than that explanation of it. It's it's kind of multifaceted, um, the band engage. We're not just there playing a the soundtrack, you know, we're we're part of the whole show. Um Yeah. And, and it's also a crazy sort of heavy metal you know, full-on rock and roll gig as well. That's what yeah. people kind of didn't get. They were like, oh, is it kind of like a War of the Worlds or, you know, And but it it's hard to explain. No, it's that there's people having, like, circle pits at the front. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's a proper rock and roll show. Yeah. So, it, I mean, how, how did you get involved with that? That was through Kevin again, right? Well, it was actually, it wasn't, it was through Henry McGrogan. So, right. so um, Henry McGrogan is Iggy's manager. Yeah. And he, Henry also works with Bjorn Tagamo's who's the uh, the director of that film. So um, I don't know if Henry managed him or something kind of loosely like that. So when the film came up and Bjorn was looking for a band, you know, Henry said, well, why don't you have Iggy Pop's band? I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, you've got a rock and roll film. Why don't you have, you know, the... The, 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 the real the, deal. The real deal, yeah. <laughs> so we kind of, me, Ben and Kevin were kind of... Sh- straight in in there off the bat and then of course we looked for the looked for the singer and i'd heard about you you know man there's not that many really great rock singers out there guy guy rock singers that um really pull it off and you definitely do dude you know um you know you there's you know you're you're incredible you know you know i think about your you as a person as well as you as a singer so you know i'd kind of heard about you and it was a bit of a punt because i didn't know you personally but I remember Kevin saying when you came down, it's just, oh, this guy, man, he's just turned up. He's really good looking. He really sings really well. He kind of followed <laughs> he the direction. 
Yeah, well, I mean, when I met you, I did, I, yeah, anyway. Um, and he just said you completely nailed it and you were prepared to try different, you took direction, you know. So, and Kevin isn't always easy to impress. Mm. So whatever you did that day, you know, I think he recorded some of you singing as well. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, he, you completely nailed it. Um, because the thing about that gig as well is, is that it's, it's not just metal, it's kind of Zeppelin as well. It does go through to kind of um, uh, Raining Blood and stuff like that, which was, whose name I've forgotten, of the band. Slayer. 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 Mm. Um, and then we did some kind of rock and roll and some Johnny Cash. And um, yeah, so, yeah. You, and you nailed all of that. So it was a challenging gig. And also singing and playing along with a film synced up as well, that, as well as stage direction. You know, it was a stage show, really, wasn't it, I think? Mm. Yeah, it was kind of this weird amalgamation of all three disciplines, really. Yeah. I think that was why it kind of worked for me. Obviously, I'd done a bit of theatre and had grown up doing, you know, gigs in bands. Um, so I, I knew how to work a stage, but I also knew the kind of discipline of, of doing the same thing every night at the yeah. same time. And, you know, I mean, especially for you, I mean, technically, um, you know, you had a lot on your shoulders because you were running some of the logic stuff, right, from your laptop. Yeah. And, I mean, we and you, were, you were involved with some a lot of the editing and stuff. And... Yeah, well, they, I mean, the thing about that when when we started the rehearsals for that, so Bjorn turned up with the film, um, and some kind of the original soundtrack over it, and we had to work out for certain sections how long we'd play, because the band would then have to stop mid-song for a gunshot to go off. So it was yeah, really absolutely. precise. So now that's you know, Kevin's got many talents, um, but that kind of geeky kind of specific detail technology thing that's that's where that's why me and him worked really well on that show you know he dealt mm. with the, the the md inside of it and i i built i actually built the show file for that for Log with logic mm. which then took the film in as well and i programmed all the clicks and it was really down because everything had to be done on a you know it was really really precise so yeah yeah um, that was a good thing for me to do. You know, I worked with Eric, the editor, and Bjorn, and we programmed that file up. And it, yeah, there's a lot of technical stuff going on with that film, so mm -hmm. it was a good experience for me as well. I loved that uh, that part of the rehearsal period actually, where we kind of were figuring out what it was. Because Bjorn, um, for anyone who doesn't know, Bjorn Targamus is an amazing visual artist, director. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's worked with uh, you know David Beckham and Willem Dafoe yeah. and all these amazing people, and um, and. Uh, he's just got this this brain that uh you know creates these incredible ideas and you know we we were sort of having to f sort of piece the puzzle together weren't we as such and <laughs> I, I, I remember saying you know like that you know, that specific thing you're talking about like trying to chop up songs to fit with your gunshots and things going yeah. off and and me saying you know oh you know could we just do eight bars of this because it, otherwise the lyric doesn't make sense yeah. it's so much so detailed so much to think about yeah and um you know, and then and then the show itself. I mean, our our first gig, um, with, there was actually like a B band, wasn't there? That That's um, right. that was sort of depths for you guys when you were playing with Iggy, and um, with the first gig was in Germany, and you guys were playing with Iggy the same day on the on the stage sort of next door. It was like two main stages, the Olympic Stadium in Munich, and we were we were main support, so we were on, and then we just walked. 30 feet over and watch you guys play with Iggy <laughs> but it was you know it was a bit of a baptism of fire that that show you know in, in Munich to 40,000 people yeah man know. that was that was a lot of pressure you know and you weren't 
you know, like most of the shows, we were behind the screen. That was the kind of idea, and the screen comes up. But that show, you were in front of it, weren't you? Yeah, Which, yeah, exactly. did, did that make that easier or harder, being in front of the screen? Probably easier, wasn't it, or different? Easier in, in a sense that it was more like a normal gig. Um, yeah. Harder in the sense that I was walking out to 40,000 people supporting Iggy Pop and you guys, mm. and everyone thinking, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> 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 you know, who who is this this uh, random guy in a, in a sort of long floor length leather jacket? You know? <laughs> but no, I loved it. You know, I loved it, and I, th- I think we we definitely rose to the challenge. And it was it was a, uh, I mean, that whole summer and and the following year as well was just such an amazing experience for me. But I mean, for you, you were doing that alongside touring with Iggy Pop, weren't you? I mean, yeah, it must have been a hell of a summer just to go from one to the other and yeah it was ins- i mean that, that was in the same period um I, mean, I learned a lot from that because yeah i mean what was different about doing those two gigs together um was you know good to damn is a one-off kind of show the whole thing about being behind the screen and then sometimes not being behind the screen um is it's a weird it's kind of like it's almost like sex with a condom isn't it you know it's kind of just some of the sensation of the gigs not quite as usual. So I suppose they... so for you guys, yeah, because, I mean, I was in front of the screen most of the time, really. Yeah. But I guess, yeah, I guess for you guys, it was, uh, it uh, you could have felt a bit disconnected, I suppose. Yeah, exa- exactly. And I had other things to kind of concern myself with, but equally, you don't see the audience that much. So mm. we were, I was coming from Iggy, where you definitely do see the audience, to then being yeah. behind the screen. And that adjustment... And it being a very technical show with Gutter, with all the, the songs and the clicks and the cues from kind of Iggy, which is just like a balls, balls to the floor kind of gig, that, mm. that took some adjustment, you know, and I think I learned from that, that yeah, ability yeah. to be able to change your mindset because I didn't, I don't think I nailed it that well. I don't think any, many of us did actually. Flipping from, the, from one of those gigs to another. If you're doing two, just two rock and roll gigs, I'd, I think it's that transition's easier, but mm. to going from Iggy to then being behind the screen with Gutter and the challenges that that presented was a was a learning curve. Mm. I guess it's like being a, uh, an orchestra pit musician in a way. Yeah, you know, yeah, completely. Um, and just and I guess seeing the bigger picture, literally, uh, and you know, seeing the because it was more about the film, wasn't it, than us, really? Yeah, exactly. It was, it was a, a show, and um, yeah, because I think we did. Yeah, I can't remember the gigs now. But, I mean, it was great, you know. I mean, all that work we did, you mentioned the rehearsals, you know, that was quite a thing we all did, you know, carving out the music to fit that film. And, you know, I remember sitting down with me and you, you know, working out how many bars we... How how much time we had before this gunshot, for instance, and and thought, if we play at this tempo, this would be this amount of bars. Okay, what... In that amount of bars, how much of this section can we play in? I mean, that's just like... You just never do that, (laughs) you know? It's like a mathematical kind of equation to solve. And, you know, you you played a massive part in that, so we can all be really proud of that. Oh, yeah, man. It It was so much fun, and it was such a pleasure. Obviously, I met all you guys and you know met some amazing friends on that so mm. it was yeah yeah it was just it was just amazing time Matt we don't have time to go through you know your whole career sort of blow by blow but um obviously you mentioned Thomas Dolby and I know you've played with Sinead O'Connor but the, the, I really want to speak to you about what you're doing now which is uh, well obviously up until this pandemic which is Razorlight because I don't know if you know but I'm a massive Razorlight fan when I was a kid uh Razorlight were my favorite band because <laughs> I was I was probably so when when would they have done Live 8? Was that 2005 or 2006? I'd have been about 15, 16. Wow. 
And um, I remember seeing Razorlight on Live 8 and just fell in love with them. And th- those first two records were just on repeat. You know, I had them mm-hmm. on CD, you know, learning to drive. They were in my car. And um, and my first ever Reading Festival was was on the... I went on the Saturday afternoon to go and watch go and watch Razorlight. And um, cool, you know, it was like the first festival I was allowed to go to. And, um, you know, now now you're in it. You're you're in the band. <laughs> so what, what's, what's, uh, what's Johnny like to work with? And... and um, and how are you finding how are you finding being in Ray's like? Well, it's been great, man. It was um, it's been a really good experience. Um, he's, I really like Johnny. He's kind of ch- he's challenging musically. Um, in as much as he knows exactly what he wants. Right. Um, he's also very good. If he's unhappy, you you know it. There's mm-hmm. there's no ambiguity, which I like. It's like yeah. something's wrong. Okay, let's fix it. If you're not happy with it, you, there's no none of this kind of. Does he like it? Does he not like it? When you're working with a new artist, having someone that just is like, no, I don't like that, you know, or yeah, that's great, is really, it makes our job easier. Um, And, you know, he saw us play with Iggy in France uh, about about a year ago, I think it would have been now. Um, And, I mean, I I didn't know this until he told me, but he, he, he enjoyed my drumming. So that was a really nice kind of compliment and, and that's what kind of, facilitated this in the end. It was actually ended up being by chance with Ben bumping into their manager when they needed the, a drummer. Um, but he's, he's, he's unlike anybody I've worked with in as much as he's very tuned into the drums. And in my in ears, I pretty much for the whole, first whole tour just had him. Because right. he wants me and his drummers to play off of his vibe. Mm. He'd so, so a couple of songs he doesn't mind you set it but he wants me reacting to what he's doing mm. and if you don't <laughs> and if you if I kind of like take some responsibility and decide it's going to be a different way he knows straight away it's like no mm. no motherfucker no 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 I want you following <laughs> me I want he wants the way he sees it is the you've got Johnny the drums and then the rest of the band communicating that kind of that kind of triangle, that diamond shape. Interesting. So, yeah, so he's really, he wants the drums really reflecting how he's feeling. And that can be different on different gigs. It can be faster, one gig slower, the next gig. Um, but he it's feels like... It's fluid for you then. Yeah, it's fluid. Yeah, and all, yeah. But also means I have to be very alert. Interesting, you know? yeah. So I've got him so loud in my ears. If he's, if I can feel like he's pushing, it's... Nine times out of ten, if he's pushing, I have to let him go. Because as a drummer, I spent most of my career learning to be a good timekeeper and getting used to people pulling and pushing and being the kind of uh, the thing that holds everything down. So if, if the bass player's pushing or the guitar is pushing, it doesn't matter. I'm going to hold it where it is to keep it solid. But with him, no, 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 no. If he wants to go, he doesn't want me correcting him. <laughs> Right, it's his way or the highway, basically. Yeah, pretty much. And that yeah, was, yeah. <laughs> it took me, it's like, ah, okay, this is different. So I pretty much, for the first tour, my, my in-ear mix was dominated by Johnny. Hmm. So that's unlike anything I've ever done before. So that's what he's like to work with. It's been challenging and really fun. But some of those tunes, man, they're killer. Oh, you know? brilliant songs, Stumble man. and Fall, I just, it just makes me grin every time I play it. And yeah, um, yeah. Bjorn is just, a, just the sweetest guy in the world. Rennie's, Rennie's a great musician great keyboard player and then i got ben of course my you know my other musical half who i love yeah amazing was it was it um did you know much about andy burrows before you took that gig on because obviously 
tough shoes to fill. You know, he was he was such a big part of that band, and yeah. you know, he sort he sort of led from the back, really. You know that you know, and and wrote a lot of the songs and stuff. And yeah, and I kind of knew, I knew a fair bit about them because you know, I I I love their early stuff, their, their music as well. And mm. he's got a big personality on drums, mm. um, and uh, I know I know it was complicated how they broke, how that relationship ended with Johnny and and Andy. Mm. Um, so I kind of know some of the history secondhand, but yeah, it's, you know what I mean. I've gone from Iggy, you know Iggy has got has had some of the greatest drummers play with him. Lust for Life, I mean that groove is incredible. So yeah. you know I've got two of the best drum intros in the business. You know, like Lust for Life and In the Morning. You know, you, yeah, you know, yeah. there's just like two huge kind of drum intros played by two huge drummers, you know, and it's very memorable. So I learned both of those, obviously, note for note. I mean, that's a gift. I'm very lucky to to play the parts Andy kind of came up with because he's a great drummer as well, man. And mm. so, yeah, very lucky. It's great. I can't wait to, you got to come and see a gig, man. You play him live, One day, man. Hopefully. Yeah, I was going to say, I can't wait when this is all over to come and see you. You know, mm. it's going to be, it's going to be killer, man. One night, So One Night Only is the section of the podcast where it's your turn to pick some artists or or alternatively a football team, but I assume you're going to pick the band, <laughs> knowing you. I know you're not massively into football. Oh, I like football, not not like you, but the music yeah. comes first. But. <laughs> uh, that you could play with for One Night Only. I mean, you've played with some greats already, mate, but if you could pick anyone, living or dead, who would be in your band? Oh, man. That's a. It'd have to be McCartney on bass. Yeah. It'd have to be McCartney on bass, um, just to play with that melodic feel that he's got, and you know the musicality that comes from that guy. It'd have to be him. Um, who who would be playing guitar? Man, this is a real tough one now. Um, let's, let's fuck it. Let's go, Josh Homme. Let's mix it up. Let's go, Josh on me. Cool. Yeah, Josh on me, Paul McCartney. I'm just kind of thinking these people come into my mind. Um, uh, keys. Oh, this go. Uh, oh Jesus, Rick Waitman. Sod it, Rick Waitman. This mix. <laughs> I'm kind of pulling influences from my. You know, so when I when I first started playing, I listened to a lot of Yes, um, kind of proggy rock, and Rick yeah. Waitman. I mean, apart from the fact that Rick Waitman played a lot of on Bowie's early stuff as well. Mm. Oh, that would come a close second to Mike Garson, actually, who I got to play with as well. Mm. Um, singing. Ooh. Mr. Cornell. Yeah, man. Yeah. I just actually, uh, the first pod we just released, uh, as we're recording today, um, had my friend Pete Thorne on, and he was, he was Chris, Chris's guitar player for a long time. Yeah. And uh, we, we had a chat about, uh, about Chris Cornell, man. What a singer he was. Oh yeah, no. That's just um, I was quite late to the sound garden party, but oh man, just just no, absolutely, just kind of touches me. And some of the live stuff from singing as well it really just kind of breaks your heart. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's quite a mixed up bunch, isn't it? I, th- I think that's my favourite band so far. Actually, that sounds amazing. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd, be, <laughs> it'd be cool. The only thing is that me on drums, I'd be completely ruining it. No, who is this? Twat on the drums. No, you mate, well, you're you're ever humble, and well, uh, it's uh, it's been such a pleasure to catch up with you, mate. And thank you so much for coming on the pod. And you little bro, and, man. Um, yeah, you stay safe, and uh, I'll see you when this is all over and done with.
I look forward to it, man. You take care. So there we have it. Thanks to Matt for coming on the pod and thank you for listening. For more info on Matt, you can visit his sparkly new website, www.matthector.com. We mentioned next week's guest on today's episode and I'm super excited for you to hear my chat with legendary guitarist with David Bowie, Mick Jagger, Iggy Pop, Paul McCartney, Thomas Dolby, you get the picture, Kevin Armstrong. If you like the pod, please tell your friends, share, like, give us a review on iTunes, a like on Facebook, or consider donating to help us keep creating the shows for you. Link in the show description. This was a Jesse Smith production. Music by Neil X, Mark Garfield, and me. That was fun, wasn't it? See you next time, folks. Thanks again for listening. Peace out. Oh, yeah. Stay alive.